2 Samuel 14 uh, really kind of sets up in the life of, of, of David and his family. And kind of right around here, David, King David, is right around, he's in his 60s right now. He's in his 60s. Uh, man, he, is, he's, he's, he, he reigned for, what, 40-some years, and, and, uh, and so at 60-some years old, he, he, he is battle-torn. I mean, he's been, he defeated Goliath. He also defeated other giants, if you begin to read through First and Second Samuel. Uh, man, he ran from Saul, uh, uh, then Saul died, then he became king, delivered the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant. We learned all about all these things throughout this entire collection of talks. And now here is David in his 60s. Now, how many know 60s still young? Can I get an amen, everybody? My goodness. Can I tell you, most of our setup team, we are portable. By the way, uh, we are portable, by the way, and most of our setup team is retired. Uh, and, and I just love it because 70-some years old, 80-year-old uh, baptized uh, last Sunday. How many know 60s young? 60s young. Uh, and, 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 and yeah, I'm just gonna keep going. And so David, David <laughs> some of the some of the 20 year olds are like, I'm so tired, you know? No, no. And uh, uh, I feel that way sometimes too, right? But David's kind of the point of his life where, as you begin to read, he's, it's kind of his latter years. And uh, it kind of reminds me of have you ever have you ever noticed someone they're like, man, they used to party all the time, but I think I think they're kind of settling down. They're not settling down. They're just tired. How many I'm talking about? Like, you want to go to the club? I just want to go home and eat a club. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I just want to, I just, I'm too tired to do that, that nonsense. But I've also seen that sometimes in our Christian walk. If you are a Christ follower, that sometimes in our Christian walk, we go, I'm just, I'm just tired. I'm just, I'm just tired of, of, of serving or I'm losing the compassion. I'm losing empathy. I'm just, man, I just, I feel worn and torn. And how many know if you stay in God's will, how many know if you stay close to God's word, if you stay close to those in community, if you're in church, in a small group, whatever it is, if you stay close to Jesus Christ, he'll put passion inside of you. And that passion also translates as compassion. And so we can still keep going. Amen. And so here's David at 62, and he has a son named Absalom. And I want to read this in 2 Samuel chapter 14. It says, now Absalom was praised as the most handsome man in all of Israel. The most handsome. He was flawless from head to foot. Oh, come on. He was handsome and flawless from head to foot. Now notice Absalom didn't write Second Samuel, by the way. He cut his hair only once a year. It gets worse, doesn't it? I mean, he's handsome, he's flawless, and he has lots of hair. Whatever. I'm not bitter. And look at it, and it keeps going. He cut his hair only once a year. Then, and he only cut it once a year because it was so heavy. When he weighed it out, it came out to five pounds. Like, what is this guy, a fan of, Sam, uh, uh, of, of Samson? Uh, Samson? Sam, Samson. Samson, you know? And so here he is. This is Absalom. Good-looking guy. A lot of hair. Flawless. This is Absalom. And then it continues on to say in 2 Samuel 15, he got up early every morning. He got up early. Every morning he got up early. And he went to the gate of the city. And when people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask, where are you from? And then he would tell them the tribe. Then Absalom would say, you really? Go ahead. Absalom would say, 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 
you really got a strong case here. And look at this. It's too bad the king, my dad, it's too bad my dad or the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge. I wish it was up to me. I wish I was king. Then everyone can bring their cases to me for judgment, and I will hook you up. I will give you justice. This is Absalom. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're doing inside of every single one of us. And Father, I pray we walk out of here forever changed by your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, everybody say it. If you're taking notes, and I know you are, uh, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If it were me, if it were up to me, if it were me, if it, if it were up to me, if it, if, it, if it was up to me, and I've seen this, I mean, you've heard this phrase before, right? Like, like if I was in charge, this, this would happen. And I got to tell you, I had a great pastor, a boss, that I served for over, what, 11 years? And, uh, I, and my pastor, I, I never had a moment where I looked at him and said, if, it were, if I was the lead pastor of this church, never had that moment. I had moments in my career with my boss where I would, I would say, I don't know if I would have made that decision. I don't know if I, 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 I would have done that. But then my mentality was, so why did he do that? He must, he must have reason. There must be a reason. I, I've always tried to be teachable. I've always wanted to learn. But I've heard it time and time again, and, and we do it sometimes when, when we go to an establishment, a restaurant, when we go to a store, uh, when we go to someone's house, whatever it is. If it was up to me, I've seen it all throughout the local church, but if it was up to me, I would have chosen better songs today. If it were up to me, he would have fancier coffee in the lobby. Right? If it were up to me, church be at 1.30 p.m. So I could sleep in a little bit, you know. If it were up to me, I'm just throwing things out there. I have, these are none of mine, by the way, all right? We have great coffee. We have great songs. I love our church. I love our church. If it were up to me, if it were up to me, it wouldn't say, it wouldn't say the Bellagio. It would say Avenue Church. No guy, find freedom, just purpose, make a difference. Right? The fountains would say, running, running, in the fountains, all right, if it were up to me. But this is what Absalom was doing. Absalom was at the gate, and he said, if it were up to me, someday I'll be king, but if, if I was king now, if it was up to me. And so here's, I want to really look at the life of Sam, or Absalom really quick today. Because I've, I've always known Absalom, and, and yes, I've read the Bible several times, and I, I know his story. But many years ago, when I first became a Christian, there was a book that came out, a really good book called The Tale of Three Kings. Yeah. And The Tale of Three Kings talks about uh, uh, Samuel, and then it talks about Saul, David, and Absalom. Saul, David, and Absalom. It would say, what kind of king are you, and what kind of mentality do you have? And it's a really great book by Gene Edwards. And, and so I always kind of had Absalom in a box. Of Absalom was the one that said, if it was up to me, and then he caused a revolt, and he tried to take the kingdom away from King David, his father. So I always had this notion of Absalom, he's just a bad dude. Like Absalom caused division. Uh, uh, Absalom was, he, was he, he, he did, he, was out of, he, he stepped out of God's will, and, 
And he wanted to take what was his. What Absalom did was wrong. But I want you to know there's more to his story. There is more to his story. Anytime you look at someone and go, what's wrong with them? There has to be more to their story. And so let's go back into 2 Samuel. We're going to go to 13 really quick. 2 Samuel 13. And this is what it says. Now David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And Amnon, her half-brother. So, the big old deal, right? So, David had a son, Absalom. Absalom had a sister named Tamar. He's handsome. She's beautiful. They got it going on, right? And then there's his half-brother is Amnon. He fell desperately in love with Tamar. Amnon became so zest with her, he became ill. She was a virgin, and Amnon thought he could never have her. And so 2 Samuel chapter 12 what happened was, but Amnon had a very crafty friend, his cousin, his cousin, Jonadab. Jonadab, 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 Jonadab. I'm taking essentials. This is going to be super fun, right? <laughs> and I love this. This is the reason why community is so important. This is the reason why we do small groups at Avenue. We don't just do small groups and say, look, we got small groups for like a real church. We do small groups because community is so important. It's so important who you hang out with. Some of y'all got that crafty cousin you need to set some boundaries in. And so his crafty cousin, sucker, you know, he was the son of David's brother, Shemiah. One day, Jonadab said to Amnon, what is the trouble? Why should the king look so dejected after the morning? I'm not a king yet, but the son of a king looks so dejected. So Amnon told him, I'm in love with Tamar. I love this. I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. No, dog, that's your half-sister. Right? Isn't that funny how we try to word things a little differently? Yeah, I, yeah it's my, my, my brother's sister. That's your sister. Yeah. <laughs> tomato, tomato, you know, like. Sin sign. That was awesome. Well, Jonadab said, I'll tell you what to do. Go back to bed, pretend you're ill. When your father, King David, comes to see you, ask him to let Tamar come and prepare some food for you. Tell him you'll feel better if he prepares for you. And so what they did is they had a setup. So then Amnon pretended to be ill, got David's blessing. And David said, go ahead. Yes, of course, she can, she can. you're sick. Yes, of course. He had no idea what was going on. And so then Amnon, he laid down to pretend to be sick. When the king came, he said, please let my sister come. So David agreed, and he sent Tamar to Amnon's house to prepare some food. But then in this situation, Amnon takes advantage of her. And this is what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 12. She says, no, my brother, don't be foolish. Don't do this to me. Such wicked things are not done in Israel. Where could I go in my shame? And, and you would be called the greatest fool of Israel. Please just speak to the king, and he'll let you marry me. Now, in this context during these times, David actually married one of his half half-sisters, uh, Abigail. And so she's saying, you don't have to do it this way. You don't have to just take this and we can do this the right way. And so then Amnon would not listen to her. And since he was stronger than, he, than, she, than, since he was stronger than she was, he assaulted her. Yeah. He assaulted her. And this is not the topic of my message today, but I cannot move on from my message 
But here's what happened. After it happened, her brother Absalom saw her. And he asked, is it true? Is it true that Amnon has, has been with you? Well, my sister, keep quiet for now. Keep quiet for now since he is your brother. Don't worry about it. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. And what took place is evil and it is insanely selfish. And I have many other adjectives that go along with what Amnon did. But I want you to know that the thing I really, really want to point out, and there's two things I'm going to point out. The first one is when Absalom said, keep quiet. It's your brother. Don't worry about it. And, and I'm not trying to open up a can of worms because I understand uh, just the sensitivity of this topic. But I love this, 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 this quote. It says, survivors of assault who publicly speak out, they create change in the silence that surrounds this crime. The act of speaking out can end the false sense of shame that survivors often carry. Seeing you cast off the shame may inspire others to do the same. That whatever evil, disgusting thing happened to you, God's going to turn it around for good. But I'm going to get to that second point in just a minute. But the assault and its wounds, they flourish in an atmosphere of secrecy, silence, and myth. Speaking it out brings it into the light. The Bible says confess your sins to one another so that God can heal you. But it's more than just confessing sins. It's also confessing the sins that happened to you. And so then it says this, your act of speaking out has the power to heal and the power to change on a broader scale that you may never, never, that you may, ne that you may know. Never doubt it. In speaking out, you can become part of destroying the forces that have harmed and hurt you. That have harmed and hurt you. And so I just want to put this number up. And this is a confidential 24-7 number. It's not our number. But this is a wonderful assault hotline. To begin that journey, 1-800-656-HOPE. As we speak out about it. But the second thing I really want to address today is why did this happen? Man, I'm sure many of us, we've said this in our own lives. Why did this happen? Why did this take place? Why did I lose that? Why did this happen? Maybe it's business or finances or something that happened to you. or Why did this happen to me? But why did this happen? And this can be a whole sermon in itself. But 1 John chapter uh, 2, it says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. They will live and forever, even the uh, early scholars believe that was two different statements. They will live now, and they will live in eternity in heaven forever. And so, friends, in most wise statements, I say, I don't know. I don't know why this happened. I don't know why this took place. But the only answer we do have, according to God's word, is that we live in a broken and a sinful world. We live in a broken in a sinful world. That is why what we do every Sunday matters. 
That is why being in a small group matters. That is why just being attentive and listening to others and having compassion and empathy, that's why it matters. That's why creating spaces to just have people speak and the people to listen matters. That's why it's important to have a safe place to go to and say, I, I, I need to tell you this. I, I am only as sick as my secret. But we live in a broken and a sinful world. And so Absalom, here's what happened to him was, uh, Tamar's offense became Absalom's offense. He's really saying, you didn't just hurt my sister, you hurt me. You didn't just hurt my sister, and can I just tell you, for good reason. Like at this point in the story, I went from like, how dare he do that to his dad, to the, to the king. And now at this point in the story, I'm going, man, I feel for Absalom. And here's Matthew chapter uh, uh, 18. This is what he should have done. This is what happens if we, if we have an offense towards someone else. The Bible says if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. So you go to them and say, hey, listen. You can, you, you can either go with them with gasoline or with water. But you're still going to confront in a loving way. I, I'm going to point this out. If the other person listens to confess, you've won that person back. Awesome. Great. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you. And go back again. Go back again. Go back to that person. So that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. It doesn't say break their kneecaps. It says go back to them. Have a conversation. But if the person still refuses to listen, then, number three, take your case to the church. That if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Now, some of us do this. We treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. You know, this is one of the worst, like, uh, you know, this was, this was an insult in their day. So if you work for the IRS, we love you, everybody, you know. But I want you to know, when it says treat them as a pagan or corrupt tax collector, that means pray for them, right? That means pray for them, but you don't have to have relationship with them. You pray for them, but you don't have to have relationship with them. But here's what happened with Absalom. His offense went unchecked, and it grew into bitterness. He went unchecked, and it grew into bitterness. And Hebrews chapter 12 says, watch out. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. And this is what happened with Absalom. You know, I wish, there's some topics I get up here, like, man, it would be so much fun to talk about this topic but then we get into God's word, God's like, talk about this today. I want to talk about the root of bitterness. Because yeah. here's Absalom. Absalom says, don't say anything, I will deal with it. And here's what happened in his offense, grew into bitterness. But here's the aha moment for me, two years later. Two years later. Two years later, when Absalom's sheep were being sheared at the Baal Hazor, <laughs> Razor Hazor, near Ephraim, Absalom invited, that was a good pastor joke, by the way, off the cuff. Razor Hazor, shear, okay, I'll keep going. Near Ephraim, tough crowd. Absalom invited all the king's sons, which means he invited his siblings to a feast. Absalom told his men, hey, listen, wait until Amnon gets drunk. Let's, 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 let's give him a limited wine. We'll get him drunk. Then at my signal, we're going to kill him. 
But don't be afraid. I'm the one who's given the command. Take courage and do it. So Absalom's single. They murdered Amnon. They murdered him. They murdered him. They got him. And so here's, here's Absalom even having some success at this going. So that's what you do with offense. And so as I read this, I'm asking, well, what, trans, what transpired? What made, wh why did Absalom's story continue after he murdered, through his servants, his brother? Yeah. What made, why was Absalom so mad at David? Right. Why did, what caused Absalom to go to the gate every single day and say, hey, listen, if I was king, not, if, I, if not him, but me, and what caused him to go after his dad? What caused him to lead a revolt? Let's go back to the source of the story in 2 Samuel chapter 13. It says, when King David heard what happened, he was angry. He was angry with Amnon. But Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this. He never confronted him. And he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. But I want you to see this, you've got to read between the lines, and this is through commentators as well. David, he heard what happened, and he was upset, and he was angry. But here's the key. King David didn't do anything. Dad didn't do anything. He didn't, he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. And, and, and as I began to study this, I found this very interesting is he didn't do anything because it very well could have been a window into his past. When David, and we learned this last week through Pastor Lindsay with David and Bathsheba, and now all of a sudden God speaks to David after it all said and done. David had his uh, uh, Uriah killed, took Bathsheba against her, against her will, had a baby, God takes away the baby. And 2 Samuel, we're going to go back to verse chapter 12, says, why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed, David? You murdered Uriah with the sword of the Ammonites, and you stole his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you've despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. And I really want us to be able to take this into our context today. What does this have to do about me Today, here's what happened, is David allowed his past sins to consent to his son's sins. David allowed what, what, what he, he, here's what I believe, David allowed the enemy to bring back to memory what he did in the past, therefore how dare you confront and do something about it today. This is a good word. But listen to me, past sins should never silence future guidance. Amen. Now, if you're a first time with us today, I, we really are a life-giving church, all right? We're not like, you know. But I want you to, I want to encourage you, if you are a parent in this house today, I want to encourage you, if you're uh, even it's just a good friend and you have relationship with somebody, right? Good friend, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. That I want you to know, that many times instead of the phrase, if it were up to me, or if it was me, this is what I would do. Sometimes we hear the phrase, well, I did it when I was their age. Or, well, I made that mistake, so why should I stop them 
my kids, my son, whatever, from doing that. And can I just encourage you today, why in the world, why in the world will we allow them to experience the same thing we experience and allow them to have offense or bitterness or trauma or hurt or pain? Why? Why in the world? I have an 11-year-old. There is, there is nothing more that I want. And he's, you know, he's going into junior high. He's on the campus right now. You know, why in the world would I want him to experience things that I've already experienced? I only want him to experience the goodness of God, the good things of life. There's no way I would ever set up my son to experience the bad things of life. Because I did it when I was his age. Friends, I want to encourage you, every parent in this house today, every grandparent in this house today, every aunt, every uncle, I want to encourage you today, you're not a hypocrite, you're redeemed. Yes. You're not a hypocrite. Yeah, but you did it. Did you? I did. And here's what happened when I did that. You had sex before marriage. Yeah, but here's, what, here's, the, re, here's, the, here's the result of that. It was horrible. It was ah. And you begin to share your past sins and mistakes. And you know what the goal is? The goal isn't to, so you lose your, your, your picture-perfect parenting style. The goal is to place them on your shoulders so they can go higher and further than you've ever been. Than you've ever been. I call it relationship time travel. I have had a mentor in our life. He was 70-some years old. He was teaching us 50 years of experience that we got to skip because of his insight and his wisdom. Amen. And we even learned from his mistakes. And we haven't made the mistakes he made because of his, his, his investment in our life. That's good. We could do an altar call right now, everybody. And so here's Absalom. He moves from the gate. And I can't imagine the offense he had towards Amnon and now the offense he had towards his father. Yeah. That offense has grown into a root of bitterness. And it says this, during the battle, Absalom went to war. Absalom oh, took the majority through his through his sales pitch, right, through his manipulation, through his good looks and his charm, through his empty words, he took majority of David's generals and commanders except for Joab. How I many know Joab? We learned about him last week. And, 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 and so he goes to war against David. David says, we got to leave the city. We cannot have him destroy the city, bring the ark of God into the city, but I will move the war outside the city to protect innocent people. And so here's Absalom during the battle, 1 Samuel 14. Absalom happened to come upon some of David's men. He tried to escape on his mule, but as he rode beneath the thick branches of a great tree, ha, there's that five-pound hair. How many of you realize why the Bible says he has, like, awesome hair, it's five pounds? Because there, there's a reason for it. And his thick, luscious five-pound hair. That's what I'm going to be praying for, man. I'm just... It got caught in the tree. His mule kept going. It left him dangling in the air. How I many know God's word is interesting? <laughs> now, David set up a decree and he said, don't anyone, no, We're going to go to war, but do not kill my son. Right. Do not kill Absalom. There's a whole other part of the sermon where I can literally say, instead of bitterness, David had gentleness. 
He didn't have offense towards Absalom. He had gentleness. But here's what Joab said. They said, we can't kill him. What do we do with this guy hanging in the tree? And Joab said, enough of this nonsense. I mean, you need a good friend next to you. Come on, somebody. And he said, enough of this nonsense. He took three daggers, plunged into Absalom's heart as he dangled, still alive in the great tree. And just kind of take a picture of what bitterness can do to you. Absalom is dead, and he was next in reign to be king if he had just waited. Here's kind of the man that Absalom was, that that Absalom, during his lifetime, he built a monument to himself in the king's valley. And he said, I have no son to carry on my name. So the name of the monument after himself is known as Absalom's monument to this day. That not only did Absalom's bitterness cut off his legacy, but Absalom's bitterness had led to death. It led to death. Now, anytime the Bible talks about life and talks about death, there's two kind of two, two principles behind that. When we talk about life, we're talking about life here on this earth. We're talking about eternal life in Jesus Christ. That how many know being a Christian is more than just getting into heaven? Being a Christian is trying to bring heaven into earth, having life now. That being a Christian is not God took bad people and he made us good. Therefore, everyone in this room be all be bad. Bad people becoming good people. That's not what Christianity is. But Christianity is God taking us from death or the darkness into the light or into life. Life abundantly. Just when God said, you can eat of any tree in the garden. But if you eat from this tree and you eat it, you will die. That's why the serpent said, did it really mean death? Of course, when, when Adam and Eve ate of the apple, they didn't die on the spot. But they slipped into death. Death on earth. They brought in sin into their lives. And so we take that study of Deuteronomy chapter 30. It says, now listen. Today I'm giving you a choice between life and death. Between prosperity and disaster. For I commanded you to this day to love the Lord your God and keep his commandments, decrees, regulations, walking in his ways. We're going to help you do that through the essentials. Collection of talks. How do we do this thing, right? But then it says that, but if and if you do this, you will live and you will multiply. If you if you do this, you will you'll live and you'll multiply, and your Lord God will bless you to the land you're about to enter and to occupy. There are blessings following Jesus. Amen. There are blessings associated with it. But yes, there's still we still live in a broken and sinful world. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, you're drawn away to serve and worship other gods, other idols, other things, materials. I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long and good life in the land you are crossing to uh, the Jordan to occupy. But all that you would choose life, that you and your descendants, you and your children might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord obeying him, committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land of the Lord, sworn to give you to, the, to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is why it's so much more important in John chapter 10, because they had this in their back pocket. They understood this part of the Bible. But when Jesus came, the New Testament was being written. 
And that's why Jesus said, listen to me, the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Life here on this earth. And eternal life. But Ephesians chapter 4, this is our challenge today. To get rid of all bitterness. To get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. The root. I love how the Bible says, get rid of all bitterness. Another translation says the root of bitterness. Instead, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. That's such a great reminder for me today, for all of us in this room today. I heard it once years and years ago. Pastor Lindsay said it. I choose not to be bitter, but I choose to be better. Amen. I choose to be better. And it's not easy. Certainly easier said than done. But get rid of the root of bitterness. You know, um, we have the, just the honor of living in a, a master plan association, which is just called Mountain's Edge. And, uh, and in our, uh, where we live, when we first moved in, I, I moved from the east side over here. And uh, I began to realize, like, we had weeds that would come up, you know, and the trees would shed. And I said, I'm, I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. I'm going I'm I'm to pull weeds. And then for the very first time ever, we got a letter from our HOA. And our HOA said, there's a picture in my front yard. Like, where'd they take that picture at, fool? You know, like, I'm about to, where's your yard, you know? And, and they took a picture of my yard. Some of you are like, the 930 service is like, hey, I would never, you know, yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and it was like, and it says, you got, you know, they got so many days to get, pull you all your weeds, we're going to find you. What? Then for a while, it became like my, just my reminder to pull the weeds. That's how rebellious I was. My pastor Lindsay be like, should we pull the weeds? Not until they give me a letter. <laughs> Not until they take a picture of my dang yard, put it in the mail, you know. Well, now, now I've grown in the Lord. I've grown in the Lord. And, uh, and so now what we do is we don't wait for a letter because we should go the, the extra mile. We shouldn't allow that root of bitterness and rage and anger against the HOA. And there's so many other examples I'm going to use, but we're going to stick with this one. But now when I go to my yard, I maintain my yard now. I maintain my yard now. What used to take an entire day would just take a few minutes. Now I pull the weeds, blow the leaves out, scoop it up, put it in the trash. Excuse to get a new trimmer and a new blower, you know. Turn to 40, everybody, you know. And uh, and even just this week, they sent us a letter, and I said, "What? Another letter?" And she opened it, you know. I thought we changed, you know. And we opened it up, and the picture was from a few weeks ago, and my yard was already taken care of before they sent us the letter. Why do I say all, all that? Because when the Bible says forgive one another, 
I want to challenge you, Pastor Lindsay and I, we had an opportunity that someone reached out to us and said, will you forgive me? We said, yes, of course. But I want you to hear me out. We didn't wait until their letter came to us asking for forgiveness. We forgave them long ago in our hearts because we could not allow the root of bitterness to grow, to corrupt. And here's what the root of bitterness does. It steals your life. It steals the quality of your life. Will you stand with me, please? This is uh, based on psychology, and this is through the uh, Mayo Clinic, that when you forgive somebody, it leads to healthier relationships. When you forgive somebody, it improves your mental health. Because bitterness is tied to depression. It improves your mental health. Less anxiety, stress, and hostility. Fewer symptoms of depression. Lowers your blood pressure. <laughs> My blood pressure is high. You bitter? <laughs> Wives, don't do that. Improved heart health and improves your self-esteem. I'm going to close with this today, and I want you just to just take a moment. Because I really believe every single one of us, we, we have somebody we need to forgive. It's just the reality of it. Because we live in a broken and sinful world. And maybe you're sitting here today going, oh, look, I maybe I need to forgive. Then you might have to forgive yourself. Maybe those past sins. Whatever it may be today. I'm not evoking a response today. This is for you, and this is private for you. But you know what the really sad thing about this entire story is that Absalom, David named him, and Absalom's name means father of peace. But because of his bitterness and his offense, he became a man of destruction. And Pastor Lindsay said this in one of her messages on the, on the subject of Tamar. I love it so good. She said, if only the prince of Israel had meant the prince of peace. If only the prince of Israel would have met Jesus, would have met God. That same relationship David had. And David's not completely innocent either. But he was still a man after God's own heart because it's a level of repentance. So let's bow your heads, every, every head bowed, every eye closed. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that you intentionally, through your inspired word, put these stories in the Bible for us today so that we can learn from them. So we can have a lifetime machine and to say, look at Absalom. That I cannot allow bitterness, hate, rage, unforgiveness to ruin my heart, to destroy my quality of life. But Jesus, I thank you that while I was still a sinner, you died on the cross for me. I thank you that you forgave me. So Jesus, help me today. My friends, as your pastor, I want to be real with you. You can say it today, but you might have to say it tomorrow. You might have to say it next week. You might have to say it again and again and again until you finally release that person from your heart. It is not reconciliation, but it's freeing your heart bitterness of the offense of the rage. 
So dear Heavenly Father, thank you. I thank you that today you've given us the free gift called salvation. So Father, I ask you today, help us to forgive others. Help us to forgive what happened to us. Also help us to forgive us, ourselves. The Father, maybe somebody's in this room today and they're ready to take their next best step and that is following Jesus. They want to confess with their mouth that you are Lord of their life. I even love in Isaiah, it said, on the cross, you bore our shame. You paid the price. So Jesus, I confess with my mouth you are Lord of my life. I repent of my sins. The best way I know how, I'm going to live for you because I now know I'm forgiven. I now know I'm not bitter. I now know I'm not going to live in offense. That I am saved. I'm redeemed. I'm a child of God. In Jesus' name, everybody say it. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen.